This week, Paul says, I will show you the most excellent way. I will show you the most excellent way. Let's, let's study that. I think it was G.K. Chesterton, certainly was one of the first uh, adults uh, that came to make famous and understand the power of, of fairy tales for grown-ups, the values that they had. They, they taught lessons that for all of life, that you, you should live wisely, shrewdly, uh, and, and maintaining your innocence. You could defeat the devil without being devilly. You know, like the devil himself, it, it, it exalted courage, it, it, it shamed cowardice, and you can see that in fairy tales. And he wanted adults to take notice of that. His, probably his favorite fable was Beauty and the Beast. And the reason he enjoyed that book so immensely was because of the theme that unlovely things must be deeply loved before they become lovable. Unlovely things, the beast, must be deeply loved before they become lovable. Because it's based on a true story. Unlovely things, me, you, must be deeply loved. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Love has the power to absolutely change a human soul. Love, a deep love, agape love in the Bible, can make unlovely things lovable. If you just have a brief understanding of Christianity or just a passing view of the Bible, you'll see that love is the theme of that. The power of love, the power of God's love is the story of the Bible. When somebody asks Jesus, how are we supposed to live? He said, well, let's love. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your might. Okay, anything else? Yes. More love, love your neighbor as yourself. Someone asked, uh, how are we gonna distinguish ourselves from anyone else? And Jesus said, people are gonna know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. John said, the disciple said, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Peter said, above all else, love each other because love covers a multitude of sin. The writer of the Apostle Paul said, make love your aim. Make love, make, the goal of, your, of our instruction is to love. He says, of all these things that remain, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. In all of these examples of the teachings of the New Testament, the love they're talking about is agape love. That's the Greek word, and it's not to be confused with other types of love. This love is not emotional. It is a choice. <laughs> it's sacrificial in nature. It is um, unconditional in, the, in, in, its, in its declaration of I will love you. It is a filter that we use to make decisions about how we treat one another. It's putting another person's good ahead of yours. It's, it's seeking out someone else's best interest for them. Cover to cover, the Bible is about love. This church is about love, loving each other. The life itself is about love. And the, the way ministry is to be scored is, is there love? Is there love? 
And so if we're going to talk about love, we have to talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It is the chapter called the love chapter. You are probably familiar with this 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's been read a billion times <laughs> at weddings. And it, uh, what's interesting is that's not even remotely the context of why Paul wrote it. It wasn't like Paul said, boy, you know, it'd be good is a chapter on love that people could read at weddings. That's not, so in chapter, so this is chapter 13 that we're going to look at. Chapter 12, chapter 12 is on gifts, gifts, supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit that we're supposed to be used, using for each other, to help each other and build up the church. And the church is a mess. And so they take these gifts that are to be used for good and add arrogance and pride and unresolved conflict. And it's, it's, the, the, the gifts go disastrous. They're not being even used the way they were meant to be. So that's 12, 13 is this love chapter. And then 14, he talks about gifts again. So like the whole context is gifts because when he's talking about gifts in chapter 14, he's talking about gifts from God being misused again. If you can imagine God having for a, a gift for a church, a, just, just a huge banquet, right? I mean, tables and cloths and linen and, and, and place settings that are china and, and flatware is silverware. And the church says, okay, ready, eat. And next thing you know, it's like a prison cafeteria fight. And God's going, look, I didn't give you that knife to stab someone. It's for the roast. And that's what's happening. That's why Paul puts in the middle of these two chapters on gifts that are supposed to be for the good of the church. He puts love right in the middle, not for weddings. It's because it's for difficult people in difficult churches that are turning trivia into reasons to divide. They're holding grudges. Their, uh, their, their egos and their self is being inflated. There's resentment and bitterness. And Paul says, hey, I, I, I want to show you the most excellent way. The most excellent way is love. That's how chapter 13 gets in the book. And chapter 13 is in three major sections. And each section is going to tell us a little bit, you know, just unique things about uh, this agape love, these three divisions. And the first division is going to tell us that love is the way God keeps score. That's what matters. And he's going to say, look, if you have, you can speak in a bunch of languages and even angelic languages, but you don't have love, it's going to sound like a fire alarm. And if you have like wisdom and knowledge and, and even faith, but you don't have love, no one cares. God doesn't care. If you give away everything you own and even, even your life is martyred, but you don't have love, you wasted everything. It doesn't matter. It doesn't count. In verse 1, it says, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels and do not have love, I am, this is like my essence, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Imagine, you have the ability to sing or to talk like angels or many languages. Uh, Diana Ross was in town last night. I'm not sure if some of you saw my wife there. Uh, if, she, if she had a duet, Diana Ross and James Taylor, both angelic voices, I might say, if they sang a duet together without love, it's going to sound like a fire alarm. You're not going to want to hear any of it. Doesn't count. It, it says, I am. I am a gong. Next s sentence, it says, 
Now, if I have the gift of prophecy and, and can, can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have the faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, it says, I am nothing. In other words, if, if I had all this kind of wisdom and knowledge that, so that I could have everything and do everything and win everything, Paul says, you're losing. <laughs> I am nothing. And faith to move mountains, this is the sort of person that like starts seminaries and world relief organizations and orphanages, just has this touch, but without love, I know this is the sort of person that we write biographies about, but without love, there'll be a biography written, but you're not gonna like the way it, it sounds. As a matter of fact, look at the biography of Bob Pierce, the man who invented World Vision, who invented Samaritan's Purse, the book is written by his surviving daughter, the one that didn't commit suicide because he had no love. I am nothing, he says, not without love. Verse three says, uh, if, I, I gave, if I gave away all that I have and I deliver my body even to be burned and I don't have love, I, I gain nothing from that. You see a need to help the homeless or the impoverished and you don't give like savings or interest. I mean, you empty your pockets. You give principal and interest, all of that away. Still not enough. I will give my, my body to the flames. But without love, nada. I mean, you, I, can, I can tell you this. Those three men in the Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that went into the flames for God, you wouldn't know their names. They wouldn't be heroes. They wouldn't have been lionized without love. God doesn't need people to give themselves over without love. So if you need a formula, Paul has it right here. This, this is his math. He says, everything minus love, nothing. And I think he would probably say, you know, if you just had a little bit, <laughs> but love, with love, that would be everything. That's, that's how God keeps score. That's the whole point. That's how God keeps score. Supernatural talents and abilities, not impressed. Amazing faith that move a mountain over. <sighs> yeah, well, whatever. Generosity to the point of even giving over your very life, the angels didn't even notice. Without love, it doesn't, he, without love, it says, I am nothing and I gain nothing. That's what, I am nothing and none of it counts. So you're probably thinking, well, how do I get this type of love, this agape, unconditional, like unrelenting love? Let me tell you where not to go. I've done all of these, okay? So trying harder doesn't work. Reading books on I need to be a, a more generous lover, uh-uh. Honing on love techniques, still nothing. Even guilt, got pretty good guilt running around in me, it's generational, still can't make this happen. And here's the reason, because agape love, I don't have. No one does. Agape love is from God. 
And God has to give you this love because he sparks it and he fuels it and he stokes it and he keeps that going. The model of agape love is that you receive the love of God and your cup runneth over onto other people. (laughs) And so it's not about acquiring it, it is about receiving it. Uh, John says, "This, this is love, not that we loved God, but God loved us. Paul says, it is the love of God that compels me. Paul's not running on his own love. He's running on the love of God, the agape love of God that is fueling him to do these things. It's borrowed. It's like, it's not from here, it's from heaven. It's not within us. It's within the spirit that might be within us. So you've you've got to, you can't just muster it up. And so here's here's what I would consider. what, you, what, we need, what we need to do to have this kind of overflowing agape love that we receive and it overflows into, it'd be great to have like the discipline of how much God loves me because then I'll be able to love others that same way. The discipline of how God loves me. And I would suggest you start a journal and then like open your Bibles to the book of John and start reading through. And when you see these encounters with Jesus, that a person would have with Jesus, that encounter is not with whoever he or she might be, that encounter is with you. Like just travel back in time and put yourself in their situation and say, that's what he would do. That's how he would love me. That visualization of that kind of love, you can't contain that. That's agape love. That's what Paul is, is telling us here. And that's how it's, that's how it's obtained so that it may, might be distributed by us. His first part says, this is how God keeps score. He's not impressed with things unless those things have agape love all throughout them. The second section in this chapter is he's going to define love. He's going to help us understand what love is and what it is not. It is, so this love is essential to, to ministry and to life. And so he's gonna make sure we knows what it is. He's gonna make sure that we know how, what I love about it is he's gonna use attributes so that we know how to give it out at school and work and you know, on your street in whatever your hobbies might be. The, this is the shoe leather part of love so that we know what it looks like. Paul's gonna hold up the diamond of love and he's just gonna spin it and let the light hit it so that it casts different prisms so that we can enjoy its multifaceted nature. Uh, When we look at this passage, what what I've done here is I've italicized those things that we are to do and I've underlined those things that love is not, just for the sake of clarity. So look what it says in four through seven. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, It's not easily angered, nor nor is it resentful. Love does not delight in evil, but here it it rejoices in truth. It always protects it, it always loves, it always hopes, it always perseveres. The first couple of of descriptive words there are are like a masthead for the rest that we are to be patient and we're to be kind. And then he looks at eight things we're not to do Uh, Things like envy and boast and to be proud and then finishes with five attributes of of God's love, like rejoicing and protecting and enjoying each other. When you look at what Jesus is best known for, you can see that it is this agape love 
that causes him to act in the way that he does. And if you stop and think about it, that is the very nature of, of the Christian church and saints have been motivated and fueled by this type of love for centuries that com- compels them to sacrifice and to surrender and even give up their own lives. They would rather suffer while they give love than to be comfortable for their own sake. You, and, and you certainly see that in, in the life of Jesus. If you, if you had a list of things that were most impressive in, in his story, you take the biographies of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, he does some miraculous and amazing things. I mean, there's water into wine. There's, uh, he fed thousands upon thousands of people with just leftover food. He walked on water during a storm, mind you. But I think what Jesus did that made the angels lose their breath and weep is in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus prayed, Dear Father, that this cup would pass. He knew the cross was his fate. He knew it was soon approaching. And he's just asking, is this absolutely necessary? Is this what love must do? And then he says, nevertheless, thy will be done. And from there, he descended into the heart of darkness. And he did that to separate himself from the presence of his father the first time in eternity. And then he he suffers and dies and is resurrected for love. He did this for love, not for his own comfort. And so now you and I enjoy, because of that act of love, we enjoy the presence of God in this life and absolutely clearly in the next life. And we get to call Yahweh. Old Testament name for God, we get to call Yahweh Father and technically Dad. That's how unloving things, once deeply loved, can become lovable. <laughs> That's the power of love. And he just, you know, like the story doesn't end there. Then the Spirit of God indwells our soul, and that Spirit, agape love. And that's why we can agape love and we can do this love like everywhere else. When you stop and you think about um, like walking this tightrope, like now, like more difficult than ever, the tightrope of cultural, I guess, impact or influence, again, whether it's at work or with neighbors or just connecting with people, the gym, it is, like, it's, it's difficult because we want to give answers to a, a time where I don't know, reason doesn't matter. <laughs> so it's, it's hard to be reasonable with, in, a, in a world where, where math doesn't like add up. And, and I, know, I know how difficult and, and like there's, it just feels like there's this constant sense of I'm always losing all the time. Here's, let me propose something. What if we've just overthought this? What if we've, we've, we've overcomplicated trying to have an apologetic, an answer to everything? instead of going back to chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians and saying, let's give love a run on it and just see where it ends up. Agape love, you know, uncomplicated. 
I love what Jerry Bridges, he's a Christian author, and he, what he's done is he's, he's, he's taken these 15 attributes of love and then he attaches motive to them and then makes it into a sentence and says, well, how do you think this would work in our culture with your friends or your family or even your enemies? Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like us to read out loud. I'll show you how this works. I'll read out loud together as a congregation what love looks like mixing it up in the real world. He's going to say, for example, I'm going to show you how he's attaching these attributes to the motive. He says, I am patient because I love you and I want to forgive you. See how they work together? So let's do this. Let's read these out loud as a church. We'll start again with patience. Ready? Here we go. I am patient with you because I love you and I want to forgive you. I'm kind to you because I love you and I want to help you. I do not envy your possessions or your gifts because I love you and I want you to have the best. I do not boast about my attainments because I love you and I want you to hear about yours. I'm not proud because to esteem you before myself. I am not rude because I love you and I care about your feelings. I'm not self-seeking because I love you and I want to meet your needs. I'm not easily angered because I love you and I want to overlook your offenses. I do not keep record of your wrongs because I love you and love covers a multitude of sins. Yeah. Wow, right? Wow. Let's see what would happen if the church globally did that. Love is required. That's how God keeps score. This is the definition of what love is. And then Paul's third section in the book uh, of this chapter 13, it says, love is eternal. Love is eternal. In, in, in kind of in the debate or whatever, the value of what is uh, permanent and what is passing, it is easy to just stop and, and not consider that. I mean, I think the easiest one of the easiest things that we can do, or let me put it another way, one of the hardest choices we have is the choice before the choice. And the choice is to stop and evaluate what is passing and what is eternal, what is permanent. Because if we don't stop and think about that, what happens normally is we spend our time and our worries and our resources on usually things that are passing, dust, all the while we're neglecting the things that are permanent and not enjoying those permanent things. And so Paul comes in and says, wait, 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 let me help you. If you're troubled, if you're troubled with what's passing and what's permanent, I'm gonna tell you what matters. You need to invest in things that are eternal. And so this last section, he just lays it out. Look what he says, especially in the context of all these gifts that have been given. He says, love never fails. But where there's prophecies, they're going to cease. And where there's tongues, they're going to be stilled. And where there's knowledge, it's just going to pass away. For we don't know, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child and I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put my, away my childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as like in a mirror, and then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, 
even as I am fully known by God right now. So here it goes. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. It is a simple mistake to make is to believe that human beings are passing, not permanent. I mean, some of us get as many as nine decades to live. And while that, you know, is just a fact of life, while we continue to pass away, civilizations continue, countries maintain, governments still exist. And so we find ourselves spending time and energy and worry in governments and cultures and, and civilizations. And Paul comes in and says, no, no, you have this completely backwards. And this is, making, you're make, this is nonsense, these values that you have. People are eternal. They're the ones that matter. Because in, soon enough, the, all the suns are just going to burn out and the planets are going to stop their rotations and, and civilizations are going to crumble. And cultures will cease to exist. And government, gone. Humans, made in the very image of God, they are everlasting. They're eternal. They're permanent. C.S. Lewis is trying to help us understand the value of a human soul regardless of their appearance in his weight, for, weight of glory. Look what he says. He says, there are no ordinary people. You've never talked with a mere mortal. It is immortals who we joke with and we work with and we worry with and we marry and we snub and we exploit. There's immortal horrors and there's everlasting splendors, but they're no ordinary people. God gave his only begotten son because of agape love for the eternals, not for a civilization, not for a culture, not for a government. And that's why, and now these things, three things remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Focus on the permanent. And even look at that sentence. I like what Haddon Robinson says. Dr. Robinson says, uh, love gives virtue to the virtues, right? Like love gives virtue to the virtues. Faith without love is just like, it's, it's calculating. Hope without love is just uh, expectations that are realized. Love gives virtue to these virtues. Love is the greatest of these because I think, in my opinion anyway, faith and hope are over here. Love all by itself is an attribute of God. God is love. And, and so it's, it's greater than any of these things because God, doesn't have faith. He doesn't, he doesn't need faith. He knows all things. He doesn't have hope. You know, all of our future is his past. <laughs> so he's not hoping for anything. But like John says, God is love. So the greatest of these is love. And we, believers in Jesus Christ, are indwelled with that agape love. And it should, it is supposed to overflow into other people's lives because the unlovely, once deeply loved, become lovable. It's a permanent thing, these human beings that are all around us. 
And love has the power to change, has power to change the people around us. A famous Scottish writer, uh, George MacDonald, G.K. Chesterton and C.S. Lewis loved his writings. And he, he wrote a lot of fiction. And in the context of fiction, he wrote mostly about prince and princesses. And it was, it was so prevalent in his writings that somebody actually just asked him in an interview, why do you write so much about prince and princesses? And he said, well, that's because a prince and a princess, they're the children of the king. That's us. We're the children of the king. And so we should love each other like who, for who we really are, children of the king. When the perfect comes, that's Jesus. When he comes, if there's regret, don't know how that works, but if there's regret, I can tell you what people will not regret. No one's gonna wish that they would have been more intelligent or been able to expound the word of God or had a shot at preaching and never had that. I don't know if that's gonna come up much. I don't know if anybody's gonna say, boy, I wish I'd spoken in tongues of men or angels. It won't matter. But if I have regret, and I will, if I can, it will be that I did not love. I did not agape love the way I was meant to do and the way I had, the way I could. I didn't put other people's highest you know, needs above mine. I wasn't kind and generous in manners that I could have been and should have been. I didn't look at my neighbors or the person behind me in a grocery line as anything but an ordinary person. You and I have almost infinite potential to love people the way Christ loved us because the spirit lives within us and that spirit is agape. It's agape love. It's unconditional, it's sacrificial. And it has the power to change people. Unlovely people, once they're deeply loved, they'll become lovely. When you look at the brand of Jesus, I mean the brand on his back, the scars, those are scars of, of love. That's what love looks like. And as followers of Christ, those scars changed us. And as followers of Christ, we're to take that same love and give it out generous, generously and recklessly. I'd like to pray for our church and I'd like to pray that the Holy Spirit would come upon us in a mighty grateful way, in a powerful way. That the Spirit of God would overcome us with this love this agape love. And we look for opportunities to share that with other people. And we would give and enjoy and appreciate the eternal nature of every set of eyes that we can find ourselves staring into. And then we'll just watch and see what God will do when we recklessly agape love some unlovables and see the power 
of the transformation of God's love in a human soul. I pray that our church could be a loving, agape-loving, sacrificial church. Would you join me in that prayer? Anybody want to pray that prayer with me? You three, you join me. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we are grateful that we receive and are receptors of this agape love from the Father through you and your obedience to the Father. And now we pray yeah, the triune God that the Spirit would overwhelm us with this love. That the, uh, the Spirit of agape love would come upon us and in us in such a way that we would see the permanent and the eternal and cast off the temporal and the trivial that we would love deeply and unconditionally, sacrificially and joyfully. We'd be a church that's famous for and known for its grace and its love and its joy. And we would be witnesses to the power of this love as it touches other people's lives. And when those that were lost become found, those that were afraid become courageous those that were paupers become kings and queens we'd witness that and that would give you glory we live through the love of the spirit that spirit compels us to live for you we pray this in Jesus name everybody said amen